Today's Your Stories is brought to you by Swap.com. Isn't it crazy how much we pay for new brand name clothes? Why do we buy new kids clothes if they just outgrow them in a few months? Wouldn't it be great if there was a place to discover awesome discounts on gently used clothes? There is. Swap.com, the world's largest online consignment and thrift store. Stop driving to store after store and sifting through racks. Shop millions of clothes in seconds on Swap.com. Shopping at Swap.com helps prevent textile waste from polluting the environment. If something doesn't fit, enjoy hassle-free returns within 30 days, no questions asked. Podcast listeners can use the code CPC40 for a whopping 40% off till November 30th, 2017, plus free shipping on your first order of over 10 bucks. Check it out at Swap.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Eric Garneau, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Once again, we're taking a bit of a week off to prep for our year-end stuff by presenting another show from the Nerdalogs stable of studs. Uh, this week's episode comes from sister podcast MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, in which Mary Beth speaks to a different guest each week about a thing he or she loves. Uh, the episode you're going to hear today is pretty dang cool as it features a star of the wrestling world, Chicago's own Colt Cabana who in this episode talked about his journey and love of being a wrestler. So really, it's just like a longer Your Stories entry. Uh, this is a super fascinating look into a world I bet a lot of you out there are interested in, and I'm sure you'll like Colt and Mary Beth digging into it. Uh, so before we turn it over to Mary Beth's show, though, some plugs. Uh, first, there's only one week left to get in your nominations for favorite pieces from the last year of Your Stories podcasts. That helps us put together both our year-end podcast and our live show blowout in December. Uh, the nomination form is available at nerdalogs.com, and I'll also link to it on this episode's show notes page. Uh, get those bad boys in by the 20th, y'all. And of course, this weekend brings the third Sunday of the month, which means it's time for another live show. This week, November 19th, we're featuring the amazing Chicago hip-hop artist Rich Jones and a collection of his friends, plus returning Nerdalogs favorites. It's going to be a good time. That'll be at the Beat Kitchen, 2100 West Belmont Avenue, at 7 p.m. on November 19th, and that show is free to attend. We'd love to see you there. It's going to be really good. Um, all right, y'all, I think that's all I've got, so let's get in the ring. It's so weird, because I'm always gone out of town, to drive back to Wicker Park on a Friday and Saturday night at like one o'clock and just see the mayhem that oh. I, cause I live in the hub of it, but then I'm never a part of that weekend life. Right. So then I see what it is and what it's become. Cause I've, I was there for 12 years. That's really funny. So cause like, you're oh. not really like a drinker or anything either. Mm-mm. So it couldn't be less your scene. Mm-mm. That's really funny. And then, yeah, it's very rare that I'll come back and, and see just what it is. <laughs> What's, what people, what actual real people do on a weekend night and and believe me i separate people and like like i'm not a real life person you know? <laughs> like uh, the, there's those people that like they live for that weekend uh-huh. and you know my weekend is going to a show around the country somewhere all around the world yeah. and it's never that night like that's what they live for is to go to those bars and to hang out at Milwaukee Damon and North to the wee hours of uh, of of the night. That's really funny. Yeah. I I'm always kind of fascinated. I'm not really that person either. You know, I'm out doing a comedy show or something like that on a weekend maybe. And I'm always really intrigued by how the traffic and the people outside of bars and things like that changes a lot over the course of the night. So if it's like 
I don't know, between 9.30 and 10.30 or so, it's pretty dead because almost everyone is in a bar. Whereas if you're out, like you said, at like 1.30, 2 o'clock, that's when everyone is starting to clear out and it just gets crazy. And I was driving home, you know, from LaSalle, Illinois, but I, you know, I was on 55 and 94 at 1, 2 a.m. And we almost got hit by like two cars. Oh and I was actually God. with Marty and Sarah and they're like, oh yeah, they're drunk. And like, I'm just not on the road Right. At with, those times the city. on the yeah. weekends. That's anywhere, really funny. Really. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's normal. And I was like, oh, sad. Yeah. <laughs> that it's accepted that that's normal. That's really interesting because mm. I – I'm sure there's so much truth to it, and I'm the same way. Like, I wouldn't be. I mean, obviously, we live, we're city dwellers, so if we were going to go out somewhere, we're not thinking about how people who are coming into and out of the suburbs are getting there. But, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you were in the city this week. Yeah. So we could chat. Let's chat it up. <laughs> My guest today is Colt Cabana, and we're going to talk about his love of wrestling. And how it has led into a business for this him. world, yeah. this world that I am a living that I'm making. Which Absolutely, is ridiculous. the thing that takes you out of the city all the weekends. And I, and I think like my obsession or what you know to chat about isn't necessarily like Jake the Snake Roberts beat Andre the Giant in 1987 at the Pontiac Silverdome. You're right. It's not. It's it's. It's the world that I've immersed myself into, I guess, and the stuff that comes al- along with that. More about being a wrestler than being yeah. a fan of wrestling. The lifestyle, which which the fandom brought me into wrestling. Right. Right? Obviously, I was obsessed as a child, but it's changed so much, even to the point where I don't even, and this could be for anything, where, you know, I, lo- I grew up in WWF. I lo- loved WWF, which was the World Wrestling Federation, now changed to the WWE uh, because – Thanks to the Wildlife Federation. They didn't want to pay them pandas, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they were like really – Yeah, and, the, just like why it's formerly the Improv Olympic. <laughs> oh, yeah, they didn't want to <laughs> – That's truly the same the two, story there. The two evil people in this world, Vince McMahon and Sharna Helprin. <laughs> Allegedly, sorry. She's no, fine. No. I don't know. I don't know her. No, it's a anyone in the comedy community would get a good laugh out of that regardless. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have a personal relationship with her at all either. Does Sean so have the same weird it. Vince McMahon walk? Have you ever seen that? <laughs> like she just strutting down IO just I hope so. Making people Vince McMahon would make uh, his wrestlers kiss his ass literally. That was a thing on professional wrestling. Or he would take his pants down and wrestlers would kiss his butt cheeks. Good Lord. So I don't know if that's something she's into. Not that I know of. Mm. It's a lot of just uh, dogs being at your shows. That's like the biggest things that you have to put up with. What does that mean? Oh, she brings her dogs to shows oh. at I.O. Like for showcases. And they do and heralds? Ab- oh, yeah. They this do. is crazy. Dog heralds, right. <laughs> they try to. That's part of that. how you get on a herald team at I.O. is they see how well you can improvise with a dog. Oh, you have to, it's man, it's human and dog. Uh, I thought it was put two dogs on the stage. <laughs> and yeah, well, they want the dogs to shine. You know, it's all about your scene partner. <laughs> what's, uh, what's a yes and with a dog? Just uh, chasing each other's tail together? Probably. Like, I don't know. Yes and I will bring this ball back to you. <laughs> there you go. All right. Do you have a specific pinpoint or memory when wrestling became what's the origin of your interest in it to begin with yeah so there's two points of like fandom and then 
um, when I was like, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. Gotcha. Fandom, it was on television. My father was a casual watcher. Okay. So even as a child, he took us to the matches, but he took us once every seven months when it came to the Rosemont Horizon or whatever. Whereas now, as a wrestler, I know that there's shows going on like every weekend somewhere. Gotcha. But he knew about the local WWF at the Rosemont. Right. And um cuz it used to be more splintered basically, right? A little more regional in terms of WWF. Yeah, but I I'd say when I yeah. Well, d- well when I was, you know, I was born in 1980 and in 1984 Vince McMahon basically took over the wrestling world. Gotcha. And it was regional. And he made it national, and so he took over every territory, and he took the traveling show everywhere. But there's always little shows other places. But, but they became the Nabisco of wrestling, right. you know? So that's the casual person just knows that one. Sure, and of so course. And so then someone's saying that my dad was just a casual viewer. Yeah, he saw Eddie Murphy when he came through town, but he didn't see, like, Rory Scovel or something. Like <laughs> also, I thought you were using an 84 reference, but you're using Rory Scovel as a now reference, Yes, which means people are going to see Eddie Murphy, who hasn't done a show in probably okay. 25 years. I started in a bad place. Yes. I mean, you Kevin know. Kevin maybe? Uh, Louis C.K. even, I think. I, I think it's... Like Jamie Kennedy. My dad's going to see Jamie Kennedy. He knows he does stand up. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Right, so he he had it on, and I was watching it, and I was hooked. And, and the reason I was hooked, and I've thought a lot about this, but I think the reality is, is I love playing sports, and I love sport, and I also loved He-Man and the Ninja Turtles, right? And wrestling was all of that. It was all of it. And I, I also, yeah, I don't know which one I appreciated more, but I did love... I mean, I was obsessed with sports as a kid, and which is funny because wrestling took away all my obsessions to the point where I can't come on this show and tell you that I was obsessed with anybody else. <laughs> That's really funny. So even even your sports fandom didn't spread out anywhere else. It just became so much of a like blinders obsession with wrestling that you just kept digging into that. My sports fandom stopped when I started wrestling. Wow. Yeah. When I started training wrestling at 19. Now, it also stopped when I got into college, and I'm going to – so I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's because I was going to wrestling shows every weekend and working, but also I think it was because I wasn't waking up for high school and watching SportsCenter nine times every morning before (laughs) – Right? right, that was like a thing. You you'd wake up at five thirty and watch the five thirty six, six thirty seven, seven thirty Sports Center. That's what I did before high school, and so I was I knew everything because they taught you everything. Right, and then I wasn't watching it. Anymore. It wasn't because you were getting up at six thirty, going to the gym and stuff like that. Oh, and Cal, well, no, I was go- I was getting up at. 12 <laughs> you make, because you stayed up too late you make your own schedule you make your own yeah, schedule yeah, i wasn't sure. i wasn't taking any classes before you know 10 o'clock if i could gotcha and then gotcha. i couldn't follow it on the weekends because i was i started wrestling that's when you i see i yeah. see that makes perfect sense to me because i do think that in your adulthood like post-college is when you really define what it is that you continue to be passionate about because you find that you have more time to do all of that. But I wouldn't even know that because I had such a weird post-college lifestyle because I wasn't going to an... I don't know. I didn't have a real... I've never had... Well, I did have a real job for a second, but I've never had like a real... 23, I've been I've been doing this crazy schedule of traveling 150, 200 days a year since I was 23 years old. Wow. I'm 37 now. So it's like... 37, 14, 14. years. 
14 years of just uh, nonstop travel. So, but I don't. So I I don't know what the other. I can't relate to you people. I can't relate to you people. That's so funny. (laughs) That's so true. Well, anyways, I was my dad had wrestling, and I started watching wrestling. But when I was 13 or 14 years old, um, I was going to. I I grew up in Deerfield. There was a Barnes and Nobles on. uh, Let's see, Waukegan and Lake Cook that I would go to, and I would get my when I got my. uh, Maybe I'd say I was sick. No, I was 14. Uh, I, well, anyway, anyway, I would uh-huh. go there and I would get wrestling magazines. And in one of the wrestling magazines um, was an advertisement for something called the Pro Wrestling Torch, which is a news, which was a newsletter about inside information about the industry of professional wrestling. Wow. Right. And it was like, so the wrestling magazine was just like a nice article, a fluff piece, if you will. And this was, do you want to know everything that happens behind the scenes? And at that point, I'm going through puberty, right? Like, I'm becoming a man. Uh, and to me, wrestling is less about, like, oh, the fun characters. And the f- and and now, I don't know. There was something. I think it has to do with something about, like, that manhood, puberty, boys, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say, like, that jackass generation. But, you know, like, when you go from <laughs> being, like, a, a sweet little kid. Oh, for sure. To a piece of shit. Oh, for sure, Yeah. yeah. So there's something about that where I was like sick and tired of like this little kid stuff and I wanted to know what everyone was what was really happening in Interesting. that world. Yeah. And so I ordered this was kind of, not before the internet but kind of before the internet. Now the internet has all the information. Yeah. And those those what we call them dirt sheets, which are the newsletters, aren't uh, they're all made online now and they're supplemented by doing audio and stuff like this. But back in the day you just order it through the mail and you'd get like a 12 sheet piece of paper that they had all the information written on kind of uh it was like a zine kind of i guess that's so funny yeah and so i found like through that i learned about what life really was like as a professional wrestler um just through reading all this inside information you know maybe 80 percent of it was true but you would you would see the information about the top guys making all this money and, and living this wonderful life and then you'd read about the the you know the 80 percent that were making 50 bucks a match and like they weren't sugarcoating it. They would tell you like these guys make a hundred bucks a, a week or, you know, 150 bucks a week. And they signed with this guy so they could make 200 bucks a week. Wow. As professional wrestlers. And in my head, they're, he- they're heroes. They're, um, they're what I want to be these people. And then you're finding out they make 20,000 a year or whatever. Right. And you're like, wait, no, in my mind, these guys are on television. They're millionaires. They're millionaires. Yeah. They're mi- and they're the best, the coolest people ever. Household names. Because action I, figures. I was kind of, well, some of the, the lower percent weren't. Okay. Okay. But still, they were on TV and they were wrestlers and I weren't, I wasn't. So they are way cooler than me. Even, and I was such an obsessive that even the ones that were like the losers and the shitty ones, I still knew who they were and I knew all their names sure. and I knew their backgrounds and still thought they probably made a good living and probably had a house and a family and were doing well and everything I wanted in this world. Um, and, and so that's kind of and, – and which is weird is when I learned that they did, made so little money and they were on the road and they were traveling so much, I was still very attracted to that lifestyle and to still doing that and realizing like, well, as a kid, as a 14-year-old chubby Jewish kid – Right, I'm not gonna be. Uh, I don't look like Hulk Hogan, so I guess I'm gonna be one of those guys. 
And all right, well, that's my life. That's going to be my life. So even at that point, you knew it was what you wanted to do mm. and just getting more information about it. If nothing else was just like, okay, now I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And everything. Right. And it just, it was like, to me, that was like my college, I guess, to just find out the information, which is so interesting because I would read those front to back, all the information. I would read them like crazy. And I am uh, a, a self-diagnosed, undiagnosed ADHD with a little dys- dyslexia uh-huh. um, because of my hatred for reading. Um, and I, still to this day, like, if it's 140 characters on Twitter, I'm like, oh, it's too many characters. <laughs> Can't you make it 90? <laughs> so I'll read it. And and also, like, I find myself, like, the long articles, I'll find myself just getting halfway through, and I just can't. I'll start. And I was like that in school, too. I wasn't very good at school. But for but I was always like, oh, like, I I can read because I read these wrestling things. It's only about things that I guess I'm interested in. So it really would just, like, break down gigs. And h- how is this information displayed? Like, I don't... Yeah, so like there'd be a cover story of like the big thing that happened. This guy jumped to this company, or this guy screwed over this guy in the back, and man, and and yeah, it's very. It was very soap opera y. Even they say, "Oh, wrestling's a male soap opera." Right? Yeah, but right. and I'm like, "Ugh, stop it!" But All right. the reality is, is like it kind of yeah. is. There's there's at least truth to it if it's not a great analogy. Yeah, you know, and especially in the back, like less I feel on TV. Than it is. Yeah. People are obsessed with wrestling for behind the scenes and not even. That's like a real, it's a whole. It does seem to be such a big part of it Mm. that they want to know what the relationships are between the personalities and who's working for the real relationships, which is weird because it's like these fake characters. Right. And, but you also have, you know, uh, proposals at WrestleMania and stuff like that. Wasn't it WrestleMania? Yeah, where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Cena and uh, Nikki Bella. Right. Right. But and and then that's like a whole scoop. That would be like a whole thing of like, oh, this was this was set up months ago. When was this set up? When was he thinking about doing this? And that's like a whole. That'd be a whole page of how fake that this real proposal. See, is. I think that's fascinating <laughs> yeah. because when it happened, I did wonder how much of it had been, you know, how much of it is their reality influencing what is going to be on camera and how willing they were to do that with it. And then they'll go into uh, how many people watched that. Did it help buy rates? It, you know, will it help them in the future as a business? It's wow. so, yeah, it's so crazy. That's really yeah. interesting. So, man, it makes so much sense that that was the thing that was like, okay, now I know. Because I think that's, there's something about what I wanted to do, you mean? Uh yes, about what you wanted to do and there is something to breaking down the allure of this thing that you look up to, you know, even and I'm probably just going to keep making comedy analogies, but you I can track that too. Even if you're just I'll I'll tell you what, you make a comedy analogy and then I'll make the wrestling analogy <laughs> of that comedy analogy. Yeah, to me I think there's something to be said for being an improv student and looking up to these groups that are playing at a theater that you're taking classes at. Something and, about mice? What was that? Was that one? What was oh, the uh Beer Shark Mice. Beer Shark Mice. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with if you're you. at a Beer Shark Mice show and you worship like uh oh gosh. I think Keckner was in it. I was gonna say yeah. Dave Keckner, that was exactly the But then the other guy that for. was in a, a Fox TV show. Mm-hmm. That guy. Uh 
and you're just like, man, this is so cool. I wish I could do something like that. And then you keep doing it for a few years and you realize that you doing a show at IO is not that dissimilar from what they were doing because uh, when they were actually performers at the theater, they probably weren't getting paid for it. They were probably paying for rehearsal space and maybe coaching. A lot of that stuff has gotten more business driven in the last few years with people just like finding out about IO probably because of the perpetuation of insider information mm-hmm. which is kind of what I'm getting at what's weird is that there's people at IO looking up to or let's just say second city because I think that's easier for me sure to say main stage right right so people looking at the main I was like well I'm never going to make it to the main stage but what if I could just do shows on a on a Monday night right and that's that that was always my I see. When I got into wrestling, realizing I I never wanted to take steroids, and I just wasn't big enough, I I wasn't going to look the part. Like you said, Hulk Hogan Yeah, or John Cena. Right. So I was like, well, I'm never going to be able to do main stage, so, but man, it'd be cool if I could do just Monday and Tuesday nights, and then maybe, even I would say, like, maybe coach uh, an improv team, because in my head, someone on the Second City main stage ain't ain't doing coaching. They're living the life. And when I found out, when I, when I started doing some comedy in Chicago and I found out what some of those guys made, I was like, oh, they make nothing. Yeah, especially for how much work it is. For doing eight days and but whatever. But everyone wants that gig because yeah. everyone below it makes even less than nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know? And they're, and they're living the dream of doing full-time, even though full-time is like paying nothing. Right, um, yeah. And so that's, I don't know why I've always been happy in my life uh, essentially, even when I was making, uh, when I first stopped become, doing teaching assistant and went full time pro wrestling at 24, because I, all I wanted to do was make a living. And the idea that I was paying my rent and paying my bills, I thought, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to con somebody into doing this for the rest, of, you know, like as long as I can until I have to go get a job. Yeah. And that's kind of where the business. And that was 14 years ago. <laughs> for, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. And I think, I guess from my perspective was it was 10 years before that, that you started reading into how to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And that's really fascinating to me that the seed got planted that early when you, as you described, your adolescent brain was just like, all right, how does this actually fucking work? I, I think it was the idea that someone was like, we've got this information do you want it? Gotcha. Right? I don't think it was me going like, how does this work? It was gotcha. Because like, I'd read, I just want to consume as much wrestling as I could. And all I knew was the mag. So this is what like, you're presented with. 94, right. The magazines, looking at the TV guide uh, every week and seeing, you know, like tearing it apart, looking for the word wrestling. Because there was like, <laughs> right. There was, you know, Windy City Wrestling at 6 a.m. on WCIU or, or USWA on Channel 66 or whatever, even Univision, like the Spanish channel. I would set the V, I'd go, you know, a party in high school and I'd come home at 2 a.m. and I'd just put a VCR, and, uh, a tape in the VCR and push record. So when I woke up, uh, you know, there'd be you wrestling get it. on it. That's yeah. so funny. So that's the only thing, anything I could take in, I would take in. Gotcha. And so when someone was like, here's this information, You've never been exposed to this. Uh, that's so. It was more when you're like college age that you looked back and were like, "Wait a minute, maybe I could do this." And just started no, pursuing at, it more at fourteen and fifteen. I, I, I God, I remember 
I, I asked my parents, can I be a wrestler? They said after college. Mm. Uh, 14 and 15, I remember looking at the high school newspaper. Not the high school. There was a newspaper in high school, like at the library, and there was a, sh- a hotline. And I remember calling the hotline, like trying to find somewhere to train, seeing if there was like a com- – it was weird because I was looking for – I had my friends in wrestle- or in high school, but I was looking for a community. And I remember like calling some of these hotlines and hearing some of these people that sounded my age – that were part of, kind of like, not part of the wrestling scene, but like would go to these local shows like in Waukegan and these other places and trying to be a part of it and not knowing how to be a part of it. And even leaving a message like on the hotline being like, hey, it's Scott, I, you know, like, I love wrestling too. Do you guys hang out? Or, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know. And uh, nobody, you know, nobody ever nobody got back bit. to me. I never found out how to do it. You know, I, w- I was in those AOL chat rooms, but also like they were hanging out in like LaGrange and I remember asking my mom if I could go to see a show in Waukegan from Deerfield. And I'm this, you know, not sheltered Jewish little, but she's like, no, you can't leave. Sure. No. And yeah. then later to hear the stories with my friends in wrestling to be like, yeah, when I was 14, I drove nine hours to go see a show. You're like, I didn't get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, man. And wanting to hate my mom, but I can't hate my mom, you know? Of course not. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so there was... So there was a realization that I, I could be a wrestler after college. My parents said that. and said, okay, I'll go to college. I'll be a wrestler afterwards. Uh, because I couldn't be a wrestler during college, the wrestlers uh, on TV would always be like, this, co- this guy played football here. He played football mm. there. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the best football program I can to play college football. So on my resume, they're like, Colt Cabana, you know, played football here. So I probably could have played fo- a good – level of football in division three, but I wasn't interested in playing football. I wanted something on my resume. So I became a preferred walk on at Western Michigan university, which was division one, a football. And I was known as the worst, uh, division one, a football player of all time. <laughs> it was awful. I was so bad. Why do you say that? I was bad. I was the worst one of all time. I mean, it's a joke that I like to tell myself because I'm <laughs> self-deprecating, but <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was, the coaches hate me. They couldn't believe like I had good footage, but the, you know when I played because I was good at high school, but I was just you know the other guys. It was kind of like wrestling; they were huge. Wow! And I was six foot two thirty, kind of chubby. You know, I worked out a little bit, but these guys had man, man's bodies. I I think that when I watch college football, that it just blows me away. I think about like what I looked like in college and and what the people around me looked like, and how all of those people just look like monsters, My grown men. Yeah, yeah. God, I was just, I'm cleaning out my apartment and I was looking at um, uh, pictures from high school and there was the one, there was a picture with me and I look like a pube, you know, <laughs> and, there was, <laughs> and there was this one guy, Brian Fetner, who's just like, he had, he had just chest hair everywhere. I think he was going bald, you know, like, oh my God. he was just like a real man back then too. Do you think it was like some combination of genetics and drug usage or do you think nobody was using drugs? They were just bigger. Oh, in college football? Yeah. I remember hearing a couple people saying that a bunch of the guys were taking steroids. Yeah. Um, but again, like, even, like, I barely drank in high school, if that. I never did any, like, still never smoked weed or anything like that. So, which is, I, I don't know, I think that has to do with something like Jewish neuroticism, you know? <laughs> you don't want to add anything to this already uh, bubbling I, system. I, I think of the process of like inhaling that and then like smoke going down my throat and just like going around my body and it really it kind of like 
it's gross to me. <laughs> so the same idea of putting a needle and then like you push the stuff and then it goes through your veins and then you're just like, ah, no. Here, I'm sure much better off. Yeah, well, right. I, I feel, <laughs> like, come on. And it hasn't, right. And so to hear those people that they were doing it, I was like, cool. Mm. I was like, cool, but like, whoa, what rebels? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not me. I'm not going to break the law. Well, but. you got to drive nine hours to a wrestling match. Cool. There, it seems like there's a theme like oh, yeah. throughout the, all of the phases. <laughs> of shitty stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of people doing things that were probably dumber than what you were doing. Right. That's probably, there you, go. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like you just took uh, a little bit more of a structured path through all of it mm. and uh, worked through, uh, you know, not being able to see live shows and finding, you know, pamphlets and stuff recording in the middle of the night as opposed to like seeing it. And and which is weird is I, I consider my success due to a weird structure of like always showing up on time, sticking in it for the long run, not like getting involved with different things. Also probably putting off a lot of relationships and stuff just for the idea of like having that goal in mind and kind of keeping a weird structure too. It definitely tracks throughout the like origin story sides of it. And uh, so <laughs> you finished a year of football. You yeah. said you did a whole season. And then I was like, mom, I'm 18 and I'm an adult <laughs> and I hate football and I'm going to wrestle. And um, she was like, all right, if you stay in college and you could figure out how to do it, you know, you just have to finish college. And so uh, after, the first year of football, I I, 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 re- I retired. <laughs> I retired my jersey. I think I also stole my jersey. Yeah, it was just like never paid your dues kind of thing. I think I was like, I knew I was leaving. I knew I was quitting. And so I was like, hmm, I just threw that right in my bag. Like, you know, it's kind of weird because I was like a little bit of a rebel. Like I knew there was no cameras in that locker room. Sure. Yeah. And it's that, just, I relate to that level of rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> like I could probably get away with this. Which is funny. I, I did have a little bit of weird of a... Um, I was going to say a thief, like for like six months, I found myself stealing some stuff. Um, and it was, I think it was going originally going to college parties mm-hmm. and hating, like hating the idea of college parties and these houses that no one cared for. So I'd like steal their magnets and put their magnets. And then it kind of got up to like, uh, Kmart where I'd like take a little thing. And mm-hmm. then one day I took a Game Boy game and I took it and I left and it still had the magnet on it. And I was like, well, it didn't go work? off. Yeah. But I'm so stupid that I palmed this and like I'm over 18 so I could have just been arrested. You know? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, that was my that was my wake up moment. That was your Okay. <laughs> that was rock this bottom. Was... That was rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> That's so precious. <laughs> a like twenty five dollar, thirty dollar yeah. Game Boy game was like, well, I'm turning away from this life of yeah, crime. <laughs> and it's, it's true. <laughs> um, That's a very mature moment, I think, for an eighteen year old to be like, "You idiot! You could have gotten arrested." Could have got yeah, and all the consequences that would have came with it would have right. ruined my wrestling career. Hey. I'll, I probably would have been great for it, looking back at all it. All right. All these people that are... I got arrested for stealing at 18. There's Cole Cabana. He was once arrested at 18. <laughs> that fills in the spot that was supposed to be taken by. He played football yeah. at Western Michigan. Yeah. Well, I still have that. They don't know that I didn't. Oh, that's right. They didn't know I was the it. worst. Sure. I they got don't that know that it was only one season. Yeah. and I redshirted. That's really funny. And the coaches all hated me and made fun of me. Did you play in? Did you get game time? No, I read. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You didn't even play. Mm -mm. That's really funny. Boy, did I steal those pizzas after the games. 
And the uniform. And the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, the pizzas, though. <laughs> so yeah, really so I, funny. I, I traveled. I'd, I'd go back and uh, and I and I found a place on the internet finally, and I uh, and I started training the summer between freshman and sophomore year of college in Chicago, thinking I would train for three months, go back to college, come back the next summer, train for three months. And then after six months, I'd be ready to wrestle, mm. thinking uh, everybody at wrestling training school, just like me, had been obsessed with wrestling as a child, had been reading these newsletters, were all mega athletes, uh, were going to be, you know, these just stars. Right. And when I got there, it was just like. That, this was like your boot camp. You yeah. were going to be ready to go. And it was going to be a hundred of us machines. Right. And so I just wanted to do it. Right. And boy, was it not. Ew. And after a month and three, in a month and three weeks, I was having my first match and then I was wrestling all the time. Wow. Within that summer. So that summer I was wrestling all cool. the time. Yeah. So it almost had the opposite effect because what were what were the types of people that you were meeting at when you started training? Oh, do you want me to make fun of the typical wrestling fan? What do you I mean, that was it. <laughs> I see. So you went in and it was a bunch of other people who loved wrestling, but maybe weren't necessarily as physically prepared to do so as weren't you. Weren't were. division one athletes like myself. Gotcha. Even though we were the That's... technically I was a division three athlete, but uh So being at the bottom of that rung was enough to be at the top yeah. of the lower wrestling. Yeah. That's kind of a cool little coup. And the obsession of wrestling and being in the business and everything had uh, prepared me to which I didn't understand that it would have. That is another great analogy to comedy, I think, is that if you are a student of it and you do love watching you know, movies and performers that really make you laugh, if you're someone especially who has a nature that is comedic and can like write a solid joke to begin with and you start going out to shows and learning more about it and taking classes and things like that, I think you pick up more than... Some people tend to realize. Yeah, but you have to understand you're not like some people. I think think like, oh well, I'm a I'm an official professional comedian. Oh yeah, yeah sure, of course, yeah. <laughs> and same in wrestling. That makes a lot of there's sense. There's such a there's such a fine line of those people that like watch it for a bunch and then like after their first day of training, they then go, they have their character, they have everything, they're booked out, they have a website. They're, you know, they're, that makes a they're lot on of shows, sense. and it's like, no, 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 slow down. And especially me, like I didn't even have. I didn't have a character name. I didn't have anything. Even when my first match, they're like, they gave me a character because I didn't have anything ready. I didn't. They were like, "You have wrestling boots." I was like, "Of course not." Like, I assume I'm going to be ready in two years to wrestle. You're telling me and seven I'm, weeks. I've been a month and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It is. Yeah, it is. But those guys, I just remember like they were like, "All right, let's do sunset flips," and I did a sunset flip because I knew how to do it on television. But then the guy taking it. What obviously maybe wasn't upset. I don't know. He sat. So that was my first trip to the hospital. Was so it's the move where like if you bend down, uh, like you're tying your shoelace, I jump over you and then I roll you backwards and I pin you. Does okay. that make sense? Yes. Right. So th- that's it's a weird mechanic, but I don't know. I've watched wrestling forever. I knew how it was done. So this guy, instead of rolling backwards, just sat down. And so sat on my face, yeah. Oh, And, like, not in a cool sexual way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, broke things in your face. Yeah. I mean, I heard a crunch, and I still – and I don't know what happened. Like, my mom took me right to the hospital, and I don't know if it was a concussion or not, but I just remember hearing a crunch in my faceplate. Oh. Yeah. Um, But that's not something they could, like, sit and put a cast on. I always find that funny, too, when people, like – I'm pretty sure I broke my tailbone in high school. 
being uh, drunk on New Year's and falling on a stair and just being like, well, what do you... What do you do? Put a cast on your ass? Like <laughs> you can't. You can't. Nope. Oh, you just face. still sit down for a while. <laughs> yeah. Or just for the rest of your life or it's uncomfortable sitting. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, thanks. That's part of the reason why you didn't come back to that then, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the tailbone thing was the same as the Game Boy game. Mm. You're yeah, like you one and out. <laughs> That's why I don't sit anymore. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm standing, right? This is weird for the listeners at home. I'm standing doing a podcast. That's definitely what I meant. Yeah. That's why you don't sit anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh that's so interesting in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it is a good thing to keep in mind that <laughs> everyone has to know what they're doing so that no one is getting hurt. And you were the person who was like ready to go over and trusting on everyone. Of course, I thought it was all all kosher, and that's how wrestling works. Is like you have to be, and that's interesting. You know, nowadays, right? Like as a physical thing I, in comedy. I, it's just maybe you look stupid, but right. in wrestling, it's easy to get hurt. And so it's funny when like a person like me where they fly me around different places and I'll wrestle the local person, I have to know what – I know what type of what match I can have. Are. Yeah, right. You know that. And you can only – I don't know if this is the same for comedy, but you can only – the match can only be so good – Based on their limits, because you're you're wrestling oh, to their limits for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're familiar with Susan Messing. Mm-hmm. She is someone who it, it's a similar thing. You know, other people play with the the person who's been doing it forever, and I think to watch her improvise week in and week out is to see someone who uh, caters her abilities and tendencies and strengths to what the other person's is. I do really think that. And that's something I picked up when I was in her classes was I would go to her shows and she really kind of practiced what she preached in terms of stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying to kind of take on someone else's characterizations that you may not necessarily be familiar with. And this podcast is brought to you by Susan Messing Classes Online.com for $800. Annoyance Theater.com, <laughs> Annoyance Productions.com. Probably either one of those would get there. They're like 300 bucks. Yeah, treat yourself. <laughs> Learn how to learn how to wrestle, f- or pay physically. five dollars to go to her shows wow. and just like pick up, you know, at least some kind of uh, uh, experience there in the same way. Hmm. Um, so, how do you get a sense of the person that you're about to perform with? What do you mean? Oh, you just know, don't you? I don't know, right? <laughs> That's I guess where I'm coming from. God, it's- just talking to them. It's just the way, and that this is a way in life where I've been able to figure out like. I feel where I've been a good read of people is probably by reading how these rest, how you really have to read these people to see who you're about to trust your life with. That's really funny. And yeah, you know, it's just this, it's this fine line of how humble you are, how much you brag, how keywords of letting them know that you know what you're doing. But then if you're using those keywords too much, then you, it sounds like you're overcompensating Man. and you're well, like, this guy has no clue what he's doing because why would he be using these words so much? Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that is kind of wonderful yeah. to think about. Right. <laughs> just being able to pick out someone who's just really puffing up their chest because mm-hmm. they don't want to be let you think they don't know what they're doing yeah. and then having to be able to sense that. I did an audition just yesterday where I was like, why did I... S-? They were like, it was an audition for a wrestler and they were like, oh, tell us about you as a wrestler. It was all these, you know, Hollywood, not Hollywood people, but I was in the callback. Casting. Type, yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, tell us about you as a wrestler. And then 
it's a it was a physical casting thing, and I, I don't know why I the second I started saying that like like I was in Rolling Stone and Fast Money, and I was like, why am I fucking? This has nothing. I sound like such an asshole, but I was so desperate for that job yeah. because I'm desperate for any job. Of course, <laughs> just trying to get in there. Yeah. yeah, the second I said it, and then continued to say the other things in those lists, like I didn't stop myself, and then even afterwards, I was like. And especially I'm at this point where I don't need to, but I don't know what it was that I just wanted them to know that I was the real deal so bad. Right. As opposed to being like, well, I like using these moves a lot. And yeah, or just, yeah. Or just being like, I've been doing a long time, whatever. If you want me, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is more, it's like you said, it's so much more like visual and type in that realm. And I'm sure there's a lot of that in wrestling and pro wrestling as well. But they were casting Right, just a visual, just for a bit. Right. Someone throwing off some lunch meat or some shit. I don't and they know. were probably just trying to see if you could like just talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> they asked you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was no reason for me to be like, I'm the greatest. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> but the idea was like, I real. I think the, the important part is I realized it right afterwards. Yeah, for I like sure. I think. Self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's an important part of all of it, for better or worse. Right. So when you're going around touring, do you think that there are people who also come from a place of wanting to know everything kind of in the way that you have dug in? Or do you think you're kind of like a self-made in a way that you don't see too many other personalities coming to it from? I don't I don't know. See, now because everyone's so everyone that's in it in the independent scene like I am is a lot younger. So they all have the internet. And right. where I had... Not that I'm this like asshole hipster who's like, you know, I was reading mm-hmm. the prints, you know. But it, there's truth to it. It was a, so much easier for them to find. And a lot of the kids I talk to, and I say kids, but like the, realistically they're 20, 21-year-olds, right? Yeah. Well, maybe they're not kids. but I know that game too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been doing comedy here for long enough. That, yeah. Like Most of the people I work with at Annoyance are like in their early 20s. And I'm like, stay here as long <laughs> as you can. Yeah. And that was part of their life was being 15 – and just like, literally, like the internet telling them what's going on behind the scenes, as opposed to really having to dig it out. For and sure. So it's become so much part of the culture now. Is that anything else would be less would be, uh, unex- you know, unexpected? I think. I think that's an interesting place to start from in terms of you kind of incorporating comedy and podcasting into being a wrestler in a way that maybe not as many of the people that you are doing it with do. Well, it, all has, it all has to do with survival and the idea of, at 24, quitting my job as a teaching assistant making $11,000 a year to be a professional wrestler making $6,000 a year and being <laughs> like, I think I can make this work. And I did. Um, and But I was like, I've got to make money within wrestling. And so a lot of it, it's funny because I, I became such a businessman at a, such a young age in wrestling, 23, 24, when I guess those are supposed to be like you're supposed to figure out who you are as a wrestler. And, you know, I'd been wrestling probably at that point five or six years. Right. But, uh, you know, t- 10 years to to be, to be a, to know what you're doing really, you know, or to really be great at what you're doing or find yourself as a wrestler or a performer or an artist or comedian. And, but I, you know, I was like, well, I'm doing this full time. And so that's like when I really started the hustle of, um, of trying to make a living, of trying to do this for a living. 
including, you know, going down to Mexico and buying masks and bringing them back and selling them at shows. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I made thousands of dollars off of buying, wrestling in Tijuana for 20 bucks. Buying of a bunch of stuff. Buying $500 worth of masks for $2 each and then selling them back at the States for $10 each. That's amazing. Yeah, and VH, you know, going to Costco, making your VHS tapes, finding a friend at Staples who would give you... Uh, color copies for your covers of your VHS best ofs for two cents each, like a black and white copy. Right. Finding my, my, a friend at Blockbuster to give me the cases they were throwing out. So I'm not putting, you know, so it's all profit. It's hustle. It's all, it's all hustle. It's all profit, right? Finding t-shirt guys. And what's funny is, is you know, that eventually worked its way into where I made this relationship with the guy at One Hour Tees. You can see me on the billboards. And we started this company, Pro Wrestling Tees, and, like, and it's exploded. And now it's allowed it's allowed me like a nice passive in- income where it's like all those years of worrying about it. Can, I can finally kind of stop sweating as much now these days. And you have a little bit something to fall back on just because, but it's something that you only have established because of the way that you had to get there right. in the first place. And I, and I had to find these people to help me on my hustle. If that makes sense. Oh, for and sure. They were, and they weren't mad about it. Because you wanted to be able to sell merch, and if eventually it got to a point where it was helpful for the one-hour tease guy to have Colt Cabana on his billboard, right. then that— Or even the guy—like, if it was it was helpful for the guy at Blockbuster to just say he was friends with me, which sounds yeah. shitty, right? No, but, but I totally yeah. get that. <laughs> He's like, Colt comes over, and we, like— he, I give him all these things. There's no sweat off my back. We're just throwing them out, or, you know, or this— I mean— I to a different to some extent I definitely understand that as someone who records their podcasts out of the Cards Against Humanity office mm-hmm. and like gets to throw an advertisement at the top that they typically provide me. You know what I mean? Right. So I totally get that and it's a similar way where I was just doing shows or I was in a group that was just doing shows and we didn't have the time and energy to write a new show that month. So we got in touch with them and we're like, hey, is there any way you guys could possibly want to do a show with us so that we can do improv and have it be fun and interesting for people and not just some other like people doing a lame improv show? And they were like, we thought you'd never ask. Thank you for helping us do live comedy because they're just a bunch of writers and you just realize in a similar way that Everyone has the thing that they want to be able to get into or talk mm-hmm. about. They don't quite have a way in. Everyone kind of just has their own corners. And through all that, we now are like doing panels with them so that they don't have to plan stuff for panels and perform in a way that they're not used to or even comfortable with, even though people expect it of them. Yeah. So, but in the, so also, I'm so, I, like, I, I, I like to think I'm self aware. That I feel there's this part of my heart which is like, don't take advantage, don't take advantage. You know, like when I'm asking too much of too, and so what happens is I, I don't ask that much, but I know that they love. These people all love it and probably wish that I asked as much, but right. I don't want to be a piece of shit and take advantage of anyone. It does it. feel like there's a line that you have to ride as someone who feels like they're always asking favors. Right, right. You don't want to be that person. Right. Who's the worst. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then, so comedy and podcasting comes in the idea of, of kind of trying to make a living on the hustle. And I, right, I'm a huge, I, I love comedy so much. And, um, you know, I've become a comedian in my wrestling. Uh, I changed my style of wrestling to be comedic because of my love of comedy and, and that live performance aspect of it. And so when I watch comedy and I, 
when I watch comedy, half of it is just like enjoying this wonderful comedy, and the other half is being like w- watching their marketing brain and watching what's going on and how them as artists, like a young Colt Cabana when he was 23, how are they like I'm their fan, right? How are they? How do they get me to be their fan? How are other people attracted to them? How are they cohorting their fans? How are they keeping their fans? And that's what drives. And then I take that and I use that as a wrestler because before I only had the idea of you are my fan. I didn't have the other side of the coin. You, I think a lot of people take for granted the idea that people are just going to keep showing up at your shows. Right. That you don't have to maintain an audience. Uh, one of the guys in the Nerdalogs, and I've heard um, Max of Cards Against Humanity repeat it, has a theory that people either come to your show once, they come seven times, or they're a fan of you forever. There's like seven times. That's, that's an interesting one. I don't know why, but that's what twice. he cho- that's okay. what he chose is yeah. like either once or twice, a bu- a few times over the course of maybe a year, or they're there forever. Right. And you have to be able to, like, convert those, like, casual people into people who want to always come out. Yeah, and talking about that mathematically is, like, I have those thoughts so much. But saying it into a microphone is disgusting. I'm sure. It's gross. Just yeah. saying this, just saying that, right? Like, maybe oh. not disgusting, but nobody wants to That's hear that. That's part of the reason why I pass it off as someone else. So it's not even necessarily something that I think about as much as he does. Yeah. Because he produces multiple shows. He produ- He does more producing for our shows I than I do. I think about it constantly. Because you're your own producer. Right. But I don't want to say it, or nor sure. do I want anyone to really hear me saying sure, that. Sure, sure. Because it's a gross sounding thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same way that. We as comedians, or at least the comedians I am friends with and make podcasts with and things like that, I don't like the word content. I think it sucks. I think it's a lame way to think about something that you should enjoy doing and making and giving to people for their entertainment. It just feels, but if you talk to a marketing person, they're going to use the word content 15 times in the conversation and not think twice about it. Right. And fa- uh, we have a word, we have a word called a mark. Oh yeah, as a wrestling fan. Have you heard that one? Yeah, yeah. And I think I just kind of I kind of gag at it a little bit too. Yeah. And sometimes I don't even like the word fan. Sometimes I'll just use like friends or community. Sure. Because I, I feel it's not that like in my heart. In my heart, my heart says fan. Probably they're oh they're my fan. But like it just sounds gross saying that like. That's our only relationship. That's your relationship. Right. Yeah. That's really funny because I think it happens with that same sketch group of mine uh, that like helps produce this show and everything is we, if someone is that person who comes to all of our shows and is on some level absolutely a friend of ours be- as a result of that, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you can kind of relate to, they're a friend of the Nerdalogs. You know, we don't call them a fan. Like, it's someone who... We can call in and do favors for us because they like our shows and they like, you know, hanging out with us enough that it goes back to that guy at Blockbuster. Like, I just totally know that relationship. And it's nice to have people like that in your corner. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And they, yeah. And, um, yeah, someone once said too, like, you you need, I don't know, I had a theory of like, because when I started my podcast in 2010, and it was right based on, a lot of it was, there was so much. I loved, podcasting but I, I did see a lot of similarities in, in Marin and I and I know every podcaster says that right but um, the idea of like this this was this guy who was struggling 
but had a voice, had something to say. And I had the same too. Like I had just been fired by WWE, but I knew all these people in wrestling. And and as I was listening, I was listening to him and he was getting more popular and then he was doing these live shows or, he, you know, he was getting booked more. Yeah, sure. His first couple I went sh- to see him as a stand-up like it, it, uh, shortly after I moved to Chicago because mm. I was a fan of the podcast yeah. and in a way that I never would have if he ha- if I hadn't become a fan of the podcast. Right. And so I moved that into... That, that sparked a big thing for me. What was it? Like, okay, let's say I wanted to make $100,000 a year. You know, like I had broke it down. Oh, because my podcast had become, started to get really popular. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, there wasn't a wrestling pop, podcast the way there was a Marin podcast. In sure. The, the, the wrestling podcast hadn't happened yet. So I, I kind of started that. Right. And I was getting all these numbers and all these fans and everyone buying shirts. And I was like, okay, I need, if I can get, I forgot what it was, but it was like, you know, a thousand, whatever the math is, a thousand people to spend $10 a year or right. whatever the math, whatever, 500 people to spend $20 a year. What's that? That's not a hundred thousand, is it? Uh, That's 10,000. Right. Something like that. So, so okay, 5,000 people just buy a $20 t-shirt a year. Yeah. Right. I really started doing that math in my head of, um, that's how I'll make a living. And then everything else is gravy. You know, right. or if I want to make $50,000 a year, right. I need to start to get 2,500 people yeah. to buy a $20 t-shirt a year. Right. And that's kind of how I started doing the math in my head of like how I could make a living. And then on top of that, I was also wrestling for, I get paid for wrestling and I was doing, you know, video game work and I was doing all this stuff. And, but like I was counting on the stability to be the idea that I had 2,500 real people who were like, I want to support this guy because he's trying to do it. Right. And, um, and so the quote was like, if you, if you have a thousand true fans, you can make a living. You know, someone said that to me once yeah. and I was always like, I, it, it didn't, it, it was at that time where I was starting this podcast and figuring it all out. Uh-huh. If you had a thousand real true fans, they'll support you and you'll be able to make a living. And then, yeah. And so then like, for me, I'm like, Ooh, what, you know, I never want to go below that a thousand. Right. And and that's kind of always how my headspace has been. Like it's not like I I need a million people. It's like I just need those thousand. Right. You know? Yeah. Which you're... goes back to I'm not trying to be Hulk Hogan. I just want to make six thousand dollars a year and be able to pay my bills. I was gonna say the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah, I'm not trying. I just I'm okay being a Division One A. Right. And even then, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, a quote when I went to WWE because I was there for two years. They were like, if you're not trying to be the main event of WrestleMania, get out of here. That, they would say that to everyone, and everyone would be like, oh, yeah. And I never wanted to be – even when I was in the WWE, you didn't want- I was just like, I just want to be on the shows – I want you to have me here for 20 years. I don't care years. from the first match yeah. every year for 20 years. As long as there's a 20-year stability and I can go out and have fun and do my comedy and do my wrestling and be enter- and be part of the show. Yeah. That's all I wanted. And I was made to feel that I wasn't a professional because they were saying, if you don't want to be the main event, you don't you shouldn't be here. Why do you think that is? Just because they were pre- trying to pressure people into taking it seriously? or No, no, no. Everyone was definitely taking it serious. I, I, I think there was just that good old boys like... it's on that level it's less to me it's less it's still less art and more competitive it's more to the like throw the wolves to the dogs that's not a phrase throw throw them to the dogs just yeah who let the dogs out was that (laughs) that was it yeah yeah, Baja men yes I worked for the Baja men for two years (laughs) Vince McBaha men yes (laughs) 
Um, yeah, and I think it's they have that mentality of more sport than art. Um, I see. At least at that time when I was there. And but it, I still think that's how they feel. And a lot of the wrestlers feel that way, too, because it's so competitive backstage, going back to reading when I was 14 and reading how these people would, would kill, you know, would would murder the person's spouse just to get ahead or whatever it is. Of course. They're just kind of trying to continue to stir the pot yeah, however it's a cut they through, can. It's a very cutthroat industry, and I never was like that. I ne- I'm not like that because I just want to be part of the show. I have no – I really have no uh, – not intentions, but like like – I don't know what the word is, but I, I'm not trying to be number one in wrestling. I'm just trying to make a living and have fun. Yeah. yeah. I think that's amazing. And I think that's really encouraging for people who would also want that out of anything that they're passionate about. But it seems that, like, and not society, but I feel in a way society says, like, you should be, well, maybe not so much these days, huh? Like, maybe it's just this, like, sport jock world that I kind of came from is where they're, like, you you have to be number one or you suck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no one's, even though no one's talking about a quarterback from a third tier NFL team, they still became an NFL quarterback. Right. right. How is that not cool? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but is it, I don't know. I, I liked it. I likened it too to sometimes like where they're like, if you don't get SNL, you're not a failure, but people thinking like, well, if you don't get SNL, you're a failure. And that's the same way with wrestling in WWE. Did you see Don't Think Twice? Mm-hmm. I actually think that's one of the things I like the least about the movie is that that's, it seems like that's one of the messages that you take away from it is that these people who purported to be like friends with one another and who wanted to perform together, at the end of the day, they can all want this one thing so badly that it can kind of like ruin their friendships. And I think that's really pessimistic. Mm. I think that's an incredibly pessimistic way to look at what uh, a thing that I'm really passionate about and would love to be more successful in financially than I am now. But to me, I love doing that weekly show at The Annoyance with these people that I think are absolutely hysterical. And that is in a lot of ways enough you know it's incredibly creatively fulfilling and a blast and i know there are people who come through those doors who love our team and love coming to that show and that's awesome you know and i would never you know begrudge someone from that group getting more (laughs) there are plenty of people in that group who have more level of creative you know of Mm -hmm. professional success i should say than i do but every time i find out i'm like that's fucking awesome like (laughs) Well, you know, I started with this, you know, this wrestler CM Punk, who went on to become one of the most famous wrestlers of all time, and I would always be like, "Are you jealous?" And it was like so crazy that I was like, not once did that ever like really go through my head. Like I thought it was odd. Maybe I was like, I don't. It wasn't jealous that it, you know I was like, "Oh, that's cool that he gets to be on maybe this TV show or whatever." But it wasn't like, "Why him, not me?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all like, and the community of wrestlers I came up with, a lot of them went on to go. And, you know, I got into the WWE eight years into my wrestling career. A lot of these guys were getting plucked like four or five, six. Wow. So there was a couple of years where I was sitting there being like, why not why me? Why not me? Um, but it wasn't, it, it was never. It wasn't necessarily like, why him, not right, me? Right. It was just like, I would like to do that yes. too, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, but it was never jealousy to any of those guys and only happiness. Uh, but that's such a thing that does happen a lot. I'm sure. Which and I don't it's, and I should say it happens a lot in the comedy community mm-hmm. too. It's just not the way I like to look at it. Sure. It, it feels too pessimistic, like I said, 
to not want success. And that means they don't. You like, don't eat meat. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I only eat uh, pescatarians. <laughs> um, I think all of this definitely aligns with the theme of the book that you're releasing the day that this is released, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, we, I mean, well, what's also fun is I like to collaborate with my friends from outside of the wrestling world. Cool. My high school friends. My buddy Kip, Kip Russell, he actually just put an, a new album out too, and I was in his music video. If you go to my Twitter, it'll be on there. I awesome. It. He wrote my theme song, right? He's a musician. Uh-huh. And my buddy Sam uh, is a dentist, and his wife is a children's illustrator and, and children's author. So you worked with them on the book. So we made a book together. That's so cool. Yeah, and a, a lot of it is, you know, I'm looking at, like, price points and, like, uh, you know, that ha- that does go through my head of, like, when she... it's I feel like it's kind of a little bit of a shithead where she's, she wants to bring this project and she's so passionate about it, and I'm like, all right, well, if I buy it for this and I sell it for that... Blah, 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 blah. But then... I, I see her happiness of just the idea of getting it out. And also I think, oh, why is my brain so fucked that she's so happy just to make it? And I, all I'm thinking is like bottom lines and rice boys. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I do. I totally see why that feels crunchy and gross. Yeah. But I think it also is a necessary evil. And I think there are a lot of people who never really get over that hump of like, I think you have to be able to do both. Right. I think you have to be able, or at least be able to work with someone who's going to be able to carry on that management businessy. Yeah. But when I saw her smile, or just like her, like so excited to do it, it's like there's no way I'm saying no to this. Yeah. And so we kind of, she drew the whole book. It's a children's book. It's adorable. Book. I yeah. love it. Uh, we kind of collaborated on the story together, and she kind of put it all out, and then I kind of like made some edits and changes, and then we collaborated to just make this book, and then we made a children's book. And I have been doing a lot of press for it, uh, and it's funny as you, the more you do press, the more you realize like what your answers are, or right. your thought process. Uh-huh. And so, right for me, I think what I've came to is the idea of you get to share as adults, because I think adults are buying this book, yes, and they're then sharing it. They're, adults are buying the book with the knowledge that they get to share it with somebody younger. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's not like they're buying it so they could be like, oh, yes, a children's book. I'm going to sit here and read this. <laughs> right. It's like I get, oh, little, oh, my nephew. Oh, my Literally, niece. I looked at it and was like, well, I have a nephew. My fiance has a nephew. And they both have nieces, too. I shouldn't just be uh, right. gender excluding it. I have nieces and nephews, and I would love to be able to do something like that for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so we can now – and people like me who – I, I went to the library as a kid and there was one book. I, I checked it out 8,000 times about wrestling. You know what I'm saying? There's like, yes. there was nothing for me. Yeah. And so it, I, it was, no one was able to share this with me, but now I'm able to share this and my generation can share this with the youth. That's awesome. Of sharing their love of wrestling and having a moment and having a thing about wrestling that they can share together with somebody younger. And maybe even have it be a gateway into like more wrestling fandom as their kids get older. Right. And, and show them how great wrestling is. That's great. And then the message to the book is also do what like if you want to do something just do it absolutely yeah so also there's a there's a there's a there's a bigger message to it but that could be if that thing is wrestling it's wrestling but if it's something else you know hopefully that sticks with a with a child i think it's a really 
lovely story in the way that it definitely aligns with so much of what you can speak to with your experience with wrestling is like there were times where it felt like it wasn't going to happen <laughs> but there were enough people who were supportive of you and that you were determined enough that it's something that you know where a passion turned into something that could sustain your lifestyle and everything yeah. and i'm curious i don't know like i don't know if i remember books the messages of books so much as a child you know when i was six i don't <laughs> right. know i don't know so I'm, i it is curious to be like if it if it will stick with them you hope it does and yeah. they think back like when they're 30 and they're like i read a book wrestling dreams you know or like <laughs> aunt Susie that. got me a book i don't know but <laughs> you hope true. you hope that that's the uh that's what happened. wrestling dreams coltmerch.com um and you can so it's at Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble. It's through Trism Books. It's a real thing, but I do sell it on my website. And with that, I sign it, and I also will do a video message to the little kid. That's so cool. Yeah, that's that's my way of trying to get you to buy it. You got to do it from Colt yeah. Merch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's great. That's Thanks. really cool. And that just goes back to genuine ways to engage with people and help them know like hey i actually care about this and like sending along this message and having it come back without it feeling too gross right and also uh that costs me nothing right uh right yes setting up a, a little my camcorder and just for an hour just knocking out some videos and it could mean so much it to change, especially a kid that's all i thought was like oh man like there's something where I'm like I'm sending it to like a dude named Dan, right? In Iowa. <laughs> right. But like a little a little seven year old kid or something. Again, when I was when when I was my father was in the uh, apparel industry, sold clothing for you know thirty years. He's retired now, but I loved wrestling so much. There was a buyer in Boston that he knew who was like an independent wrestler. He wasn't famous. He was he was all you know. He I, years later I asked some people like, hey, do you remember? Uh, the Sheik, and they're like, oh, this guy? Yeah, oh, gross. But <laughs> my dad brought me this autograph, you know, of this when I was like 10, and like he became my favorite wrestler. I couldn't believe a wrestler like signed my name. I couldn't believe my dad knew a wrestler. So when you, I mean, there's something, those moments when you're a kid. And I also remember when Carl Malone said he didn't have time for autographs. And fuck you, Carl Malone. Oh, and my And to this gosh. day, fuck you. <laughs> See, I had the opposite to take it back to the. Astros. I went to an Astros Sox game this year, and Jose Altuve, their like star second baseman, before the game started, came over and signed probably like 15, 20, like so much stuff. And a lot of it was for little kids, and a lot of it, there was some, you know, some adults in there, but I know for a fact he came over because there were a few little kids in the front who were just like, hey, and it took him five minutes before the game, and it gave me a lifetime of respect for him yeah. as a player. Absolutely. And as a kid, you I mean, you're not a kid, but you, it's a different <laughs> ballgame for you. Will you never... respect him now as a human yes. being because you're a human being, an adult. Yes. Those kids will – he will be cherished forever. And, and, and Carl, I... Carl Malone can eat my butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just – there's this video that will never not make me emotional when I see it of Andrew McCutcheon, uh, who's a wonderful baseball player, having these two fans in the outfield just like screaming for him the whole game. These two little uh, – either like brothers or friends. Friends, just going nuts. McCunchkins? <laughs> McCunchkins. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Uh, and he, at the end of the game, just went up and handed them his batting gloves. Nice. And the, and their faces are just oh. like, it's they can't fathom it. Exactly. McCunchin. McCunchin? <laughs> McCutcheon. McCutcheon. He ain't paying for those gloves. No, he plays for the Pirates. <laughs> yeah. They pay for the gloves. <laughs> right. But it doesn't mean anything to him. Right. And it means 
everything to them. Yeah. And they'll never forget when Andrew McCutcheon came up after the game and like acknowledged their existence. Mm. <laughs> I remember I, I, I'll, I have a ring towel and sometimes I'll, uh, I'll give if I'm done with a tour or something because let's be honest, I get those towels from Export Fitness. <laughs> this episode of NBA is sponsored by Export Fitness. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> We've been sued by Export Fitness. <laughs> uh, so I'll give the I'll, give, I'll always I'll try you know I'll give a, a towel to a kid like whatever if I see a kid and then I just remember some people like years later being like oh you. You gave either you gave me or you gave my kid this sweaty towel. So gross. I was like, I, I thought that, that was, was a cool, cool. movie. Yeah. I thought I just made someone's life. No, I, they were disgusted by me. That's because <laughs> it probably really is at the end of the tour. It probably smells like just awful. And a little bit of me is like, well, I'm not going to wash this, and I'm not, you know, like, <laughs> probably get rid of it yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm throwing it away. So. You can get rid of it too, kid. Yeah. But at least you touched it. I, I don't changing know. Changing his life. <laughs> I guess not. Well, it's you know that's just one. One person. One instance, opinion. but I, that's what I think of when I think of like me, cha- me like doing these fun things that mean nothing, and then it like backfiring. Like I'm really just a piece of shit. <laughs> you pronounced my kid's name wrong yeah. in the video. For oh, that. I've, that's there's a couple where it's like names like oh, it was, it's tough. It was like Maureen or Marie. I don't know. Oh, all right, don't get it started. <laughs> Is there anything in this conversation that you would feel remiss to leave out? Oh. I mean everything. Everything. Well, I'm I, sure we could continue for a yeah, long time. Yeah, I did. So I, when we talk about the idea of – there's something that I didn't hit on was the idea of um, people coming on this show with their obsessions. And um, a lot of that has – so a lot of me not collecting and not – you know, if that's a thing where – I don't. you tell me if that's something where like I – I feel spending money has to do a lot with obsessions and collections. At least in this – I think in modern culture, maybe even more so, yeah. because I think of like the the absolute explosion of nerd culture mm-hmm. and going to comic cons and things like that. So much of it is retail oriented, and I am with you in that. I don't really get into any of that stuff. I like seeing movies and being a fan of a TV show and watching it over and over again and reading the articles and stuff about it. But right, I but I, stuff. I would feel that like maybe, and so it'd be hard for me to come on this show and be like, I'm more obsessed than other people because I didn't want to spend money on this stuff. And now I can because I have it. But before, as you know, it's always weird when I when I like I was like a starving artist, you know, like as a weird as a wrestler. It's so weird to say, but but it's true, right? And You're I'm a just, performer. I perform, I'm just trying to make a living, so I'm not spending. And I, you know, I I didn't spend money on anything, especially those first couple of years. So like I felt the idea of stardom or not star of obsession with anything else really took a back seat because I and I have all these friends that collect all these things and. I think of my friend named Zach, Zach Ryder, and he just told me he, how much money he spent on these LJN dolls or these Hasbro dolls that, you know, that were, I forget what the prototypes and just like, and he, you see his Instagram, it's like, well, that's the, he, that's his, uh, I get it. Yes. But his obsession comes with a price. Yes. And my, my obsession of spending money has always been to make money back to make a living. Right. Right. So if I'm, and I've always thought that way, like if I'm going to pay money, for something, I want to be able to get back. So if I buy a computer, it's not because it's like, hey, I got a computer. It's like, no, I'm going to make a podcast and I'm going to be able to get on the internet and I'm going to be able to set up my website. So this computer has value. If I spend $1,000 on this computer, I'm making $5,000 back. 
Uh, that is really interesting that that was the place that your mindset of it goes in terms of being a fan of something or getting super into something and not being able to necessarily expend money on that fandom. I think for me, what it became the closest thing that I could kind of tie an analogy to, and I hinted at before, at like, once I got out of college, I had more time to be into stuff. I think for me, that thing still is like film and TV. So I spend money to go see movies in theaters, and I pay for all the... I don't have to anymore because I like have more connections than I used to, (laughs) but I used to like pay full cable so I could like watch all the movie channels channels and that see i don't i think of that as just a life i feel that's part of the deal but for in my head in my head right sure but for me it's it's one of the only things that i spend money on consistently Mm. is being able to see movies know like what things i like and don't like and watch actors in a way that's like oh this person you know accomplishes this out of this character in a similar way as you were referring to before and kind of being influenced as a on with your persona and everything. I do think there is an element of that in, in at least in my mind for the way that I like to watch comedy and do comedy is knowing about the things that are the best that are getting put out. And I think, and I agree with you totally that that's just a lifestyle thing for a lot of people. And uh, it's definitely not like the, I'm very unique. I like movies. <laughs> I pay for HBO. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm certainly not going to uh, parade that thought around. But I do think there's an element of like I like knowing I know who all the directors are. I like when certain actors work with the same director over and over again because I like the idea of creative collaboration and things like that. It gets more into the nitty gritty than maybe like an average viewer would. Mm-hmm. More than me, yeah, that's something I don't think about. I love it. I just for I just like to turn my brain off and watch something stupid. Exactly, <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm coming from. Is like TV and movies for me is not turning my brain off, and mm. there are certainly times where it is. But for me, it's like I live for it. It's well, that's what is, section. I mean, that's what pro wrestling is—is is turn your brain off, and that's what you know. That's originally that <laughs> yeah. was the pitch. Was the was the sales was hey, spend your especially like early wrestling, like seventies wrestling is like you spent you've you've been uh, reserved at your job all week. Come to wrestling and just yell your brains yes. out. And right, it's supposed to just be like not think, just yell. Yeah, it's some like fantasy fulfillment type stuff, and yeah. And yes. right for me, it's I'm dissecting everything, right? And for yes. for me, I'm I'm just turning my brain off and watching film. And for you, it's yeah, right, yeah, right. We got there. That's, that's <laughs> I got there. I brought you around. Uh, how do you think your love of wrestling has influenced you creatively in kind of your life in general? It's something we've been discussing. It may, in this instance, be a little bit more of the opposite. There are creative things that influence you in, in the wrestling world. Yeah, but also, so I mean, wrestling has—it's it, a culture, and so it's made me aware. It, it's definitely—I don't want it to because I am one of those people who try not to let it define me as who I am as a human. But there's a lot of characteristics, like like the idea of reading somebody, like that person I'm about yes. to talk to that match, where I can take that out. Um, of the wrestling world and I could put that into a real world. And so a good example of that would be 
you know, in wrestling, it's a con, right? I mean, essentially, it's it is it's a con uh, where we're trying to convince people. And I think stand and I've gotten to, I've gotten to the idea that that's what stand up is too through professional wrestling. Of this person is trying to go on stage and pretend like they just made up a thing when obviously they've been rehearsing it for you know whatever. It's the same thing with professional wrestling, and um, so I'm not name dropping or anything, but Chris Gethard's a friend of mine, and he's great, and I would watch his shows. And he'd be doing stuff, and then I just text. I'd be like, "Dude, that's so wrestling. What are you doing?" And you know, things like uh, I'll just give an example of like mm, uh, maybe last week or a couple weeks before. I like to watch his show on True TV. Uh huh. He did a thing where he got stuck. He does the wildest yeah. stuff on his shows. Yeah. He did a thing where he got stuck in a coffin, and he was trying to scare. I think it was Ellie Kemper. I wasn't sure. He's was trying to scare somebody on the show, and he got stuck in a coffin. He was trying to play it off like he was really stuck. And I was just, and I saw right through it right away, right? Uh, <laughs> and and that's what wrestling has brought to me is I can I see through everything. Like it's very rarely, I, like I'm I'm in on the con quickly because I've done 19 years or 18 and a half years in the con life, which is that's interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So can you get into magic at all, or do you, are you? you I always, love magic, really. Yeah, because that's to me that's a similar thing of like being able to see the con or yes. not. Well, but I think the great thing about magic is is we we we're going in knowing it's a con. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas I, I, on what and Chris was trying to play it off like it wasn't a con. Right. And people in real life try to play stuff off like it's really happening. Yeah. Like they're really, you know, not cheating on their wife or whatever it is. Or they really know more about wrestling and right. have been doing it longer than they actually have. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I see right through it. That's really uh, funny. Yeah. But I, yeah, I weirdly, really, when I I'd go and do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every year. Yeah. And um, actually, I, I was roommates with Chris and... He would make fun of me of how many because I'd I tell him what shows like, I'm going oh, to com- magic, magic shows. shows. He's like, you really like magic? I was like, yeah, I guess I do. I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny. Because I look at a list of stuff and I'm just like, oh, that looks fun. And my brain, I guess, kind of goes to like illusion. God, I once saw this one guy who did a whole show about uh, pickpocketing, and it was just so wonderful. And he kind of showed how he did everything too. And so, wow. But also that goes back to uh, just people who are so skilled at anything. I love. Like if you are just skilled at something and I can't do it and you can, and I think it's You're so. There for it. I think it's so amazing. I know that went away from how wrestling uh, in real life. No, but. I actually think it does speak to it, and that's part of the reason why I brought up magic is just because it is you have viewed these other things in such a different way because of how much you've become obsessed with. <laughs> Immersed myself, yeah. Right. Yeah. Getting one over or getting it over. <laughs> getting over? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. Well, get, well, getting one over, I don't know. That's not wrestling specific. Getting one over is probably just more of a... Getting one over on somebody. Right. But in wrestling, it's to get over. Right. But that, yeah, that's not necess- that's not as much as a as conning someone as just making someone a fan of yours. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Hopefully yeah. I'm over... At, if, I, if, I, if you listen to this podcast and you're like, uh, uh, Colt's over, <laughs> that would mean that like you really like me. Right. And I've, I've won your heart. And everyone would be marking out. That's right. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> I only know the most like surface level no, things. You're so. not supposed to. That's an inside <laughs> term. You're not even supposed to know that. 
And it's so funny that it's that was an insight. That was in, in the first thing I got from that pro wrestling torch that I subscribed to mm-hmm. was a booklet of inside terms and wrestlers' real names. That was what that was the special gift you got. Wow. Yeah, and like so, I first of all I would call all the wrestlers their real name. Not I wouldn't call them them, but they'd be like. Sabu, oh, you mean Terry Brunk? You yeah. Know? And now, to this day, I hate when people call me my real name. Not in real life. In real life, right. you know me as my name. Yes. But if you're watching me perform, I'm that performer. Got it. And so, uh, and also the real terms, we don't even use those real terms. But right. now the fans are using those inside terms. Because they fight up, because yeah. the pamphlet has translated into internet forums yes. and right. podcast yes. uh, fans and stuff like that. And so now they're just they're just words. They're not even inside terms anymore. That's really funny. Yeah. Well, Colt, thank you so much for doing this. It was a total blast. Yeah. And best of luck with the book coming out and everything else that comes along the way. Cool. Yeah. If, I mean, hey, if, say hi, at Colt Cabana, Twitter and Instagram. My website's Cole Cabana, and come see me at an upcoming show all over the world. ColeCabana.com has uh, my uh, upcoming appearances and stuff. Awesome. Oh, and I did a documentary, three documentaries. And the last, the, the third one, it's called Wrestling Road Diaries, and the third one's called uh, Funny Equals Money, and it's about comedy. It's a documentary about comedy and wrestling, um, and I invited two other comedic wrestlers with me, and we traveled around and kind of explained how comedy and how comedic pro wrestling works. That's really cool. So, I bet you you guys would dig it. I was going to say, if you were into this conversation and are a fan of this show and comedy in general, that sounds like you can't go wrong digging into that too. Yeah, because it's just as much comedy as it is wrestling. It's not like all wrestling. That's really cool. Uh, Thank you so much again. I love you and I mean that, man. Wait, what? I love you Oh, I mean that. Oh, really? (laughs) It's just what I say at the end of the show. But but I also say it because I mean it. But that... That hit hard. Oh. <laughs> I love you, you too. expecting it? No. Well, I truly, I started it because I do think it's, it goes back to that thing. I don't like pessimism. I don't like when people are trying to outwit and outlast the people that they're working with. We should all be working together. And I genuinely love the people around me. All right. There well, we I love go. you. And I mean it. <laughs> This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today and go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.